talk today about why the virgin birth is God's greatest gift that you'll ever, ever, ever receive. And I want you to understand that uh, the foundation of Christianity, you can't be a Christian without believing what I'm about to share today. There is no faith for salvation without the belief in the virgin birth. My concern in our culture today is that we are so shallow in what we think and what we believe. We just simply follow the tide. We follow the crowd. And we do things not even understanding why we do them. And I want to talk to you about the why of Jesus' virgin birth today. As our culture moves away from its Christian roots, Jesus has lost his place in uh, speaking to us and speaking to the morals of particularly the United States of America. And why is that important in a, large, in, a, in a big way? Because we are the wealthiest country in the world and we have so much influence. What happens to us influences the whole world. How many understand that? It's a really, really big deal. If a culture doesn't believe the Bible is the word of God, if a culture has no consciousness of sin, if a culture doesn't believe in punishment, the punishment of sin after death, by incarceration in hell and then the lake of fire, then you know what? There's not much need for a savior. And y'all, that's where America is right now. And that's the culture that we believe in. The Bible and what the Bible teaches makes people feel quite uncomfortable because the Bible exposes who we really are. We are sinners in need of a savior. I was uh, listening to something yesterday and it was an advertisement for something and and I, I, I don't want, I, I think it was on my, my iPad. Nonetheless, they were saying how good we are. Y'all, we are not good. We are not good people. We're sinners. Uh, the, Jeremiah said we're desperately wicked. But now if you say, tell a person they're wicked, they're a sinner, well, you just did, you just laid a sledgehammer blow to their self-esteem. And maybe that's what we need today. We need an awakening of who Jesus is and really who we are so we'll understand him better. How many understand? And so I want to talk about the virgin birth and why today. I've got a quote here. This quote is from over 80 years ago, but it's as though it were written last week. And it's by a man named Essex W. Kenyon. He has a book, and this is a really old book. I've had it in my library for over 40 years. It's called The Wonderful Name of Jesus. I've quoted this before. But it's so, it, it, it so bears the point of who Jesus is, why our culture doesn't accept him, and why we need him. And here's what uh, Mr. Kenyon says. The deity of the man of Galilee is the crux of Christianity, the foundation, that is, of Christianity. If this can be successfully challenged, then Christianity has lost its heart and will cease to function. It will become a dead religion. There is no denial that the challenge of his deity has already had its reactionary effect upon society. If Jesus is not deity, he is not Lord. If he is not Lord, then he cannot interfere with our moral activities. If he is not Lord, then the laws that have been founded upon his teaching have lost their force. The morals that surround marriage with its lofty ideals have no basis of fact. In fact, if Jesus of Nazareth is not a revelation from God with the divine authority, then he's but a man. If he's but a man, all that we have built around him must be destroyed. And we have been around, built around this man, our modern civilization. He has been the inspiration of young men. 
they have kept themselves clean and pure as they have looked upon his wonderful life and sought to win his smile. Young women, in the secret of their chamber, have looked upon the face of the man of Galilee and have pledged to preserve the purity of their womanhood that they might be found worthy of the love and confidence of the man who died 2,000 years ago for humanity. Children have been incited to obedience and purity by the example and teachings of this man. Businessmen have been deterred from crooked dealings by the consciousness that one day they would meet that man and give account of the deeds done in the office. Men of all walks of life have felt a strange kinship with this man who walked the shores of Galilee solitary among a multitude. To say that he is but a good man is an insult. To say that he was the highest expression of deity in humanity is to throw the lie into his face. Jesus is or he is not what he said he was. We have no record of his sayings nor of his doings outside of the four gospels. And if we repudiate them, then we have but a mythical picture of the man. If we challenge one of them, we have a right to challenge all of them. Either he stands or falls on these four biographical sketches. If he is not the son of God, who is he? I want to believe he's an incarnation. I want to believe that he dealt with a sin problem. I want to believe that he died for my sins and he rose again for my justification. I want to believe that he's seated at God's right hand today as the intercessor and mediator of the human race. I want to believe that what he said about heaven is true. In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Skepticism holds no guarantee for my future. Civilization has not only been built around this man, but he has been builded into civilization. If you destroy his character, his standing, his place, then civilization must disintegrate. The wave of crime and lawlessness that is sweeping over the land is but a byproduct of the modernist challenge of his integrity. Over 80 years ago, absolutely right today. Can you see what's happening to our nation? Why is it happening to our nation? Can I get real? Because we have, as the church have failed to take our place and be honest with people around us as to who they are without Jesus and who Jesus is and how he can change their life. There is no answer to the problems we face without the new birth. And the new birth comes from belief that Jesus is the virgin-born Son of God. So again, the virgin birth of Jesus is the foundation for everything that we believe as Christians. You cannot be a Christian without the virgin birth. Let's talk about it a little bit. Uh, there's, there's a word incarnate, and it's a Latin word in Cairo. It means in flesh. It means literally endowed with a human body to give bodily form to to be the type or embodiment of. So an incarnation is a person taking on human form. And that's what the Bible says that Jesus Christ did. Just a few verses here from the Old Testament. His birth was, uh, his virgin birth was foretold 2,500 years before it happened by Isaiah. And even longer than that by other Old Testament prophets such as Moses. Genesis 3.15 this is the first prophecy that a redeemer would come that would redeem fallen mankind. And I will cause hostility between you. And this is God speaking to Satan, the serpent, uh, between you and the woman 
and between your offspring. Here, here God calls uh, the human race Satan's offspring because we're born as sinners in need of a Savior. And her offspring. This is one of the only times in the Bible that it refers to a, a human as the offspring of a woman. If you look at the lineages in the Bible, uh, it always starts off with the man, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. It never talks about the woman, only the man. Why? Because, because we're, we're descendants of our fathers, and that's the way we, that's the way we do lineage, lineage. But it says, your offspring, Satan's offspring, and her offspring. That is, a woman will, will, have, a, will have a baby independent. Of a man, that's the first prophecy of of Jesus' virgin birth. He will strike your head. That is, that offspring of the woman will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Striking your head, one day Jesus would come, and he would take the authority that Satan got from Adam when Adam sinned, take it away from him, striking his head. But it says, you will strike his heel. That's the bitter persecution of the church. Isaiah 7, 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his, call his name Emmanuel. Can you imagine the prophet Isaiah writing these words as the Holy Spirit inspired him? And he wrote, a virgin shall conceive. Can you imagine how you could, being in his footprints and having that pen in your hand, a virgin will conceive. You've got to back up. A virgin can't have a baby. Huh. A woman's got to have a man to get pregnant, but not here. This is a supernatural birth. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. That's the physical birth of Jesus. Mary clothed Jesus in sinless flesh. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Jesus' spirit came from God. He's the second member of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus came down and indwelt a human body. And so it says here, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And then it skips an expanse of time and it looks to the very end of time, the end of the earth as we know it, after God has judged all of the wrongs and, and cast Satan into the lake of fire and we have a new heavens and a new earth. And it says here, and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Then Micah chapter 5 verse 2, but you Bethlehem, Ephrathah, which is the surrounding area of Bethlehem. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, watch this, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And that's saying a baby will be born that preexisted the birth on earth. His goings are from of old, from everlasting. And so here's the biblical narrative of exactly how that happened. A little girl named Mary, about 16 years of age, she was engaged, or the biblical term is betrothed. Betrothal meant that uh, uh, the couple were together for one year uh, without having sex. They were not yet married, but it was to pr prove their purity. And uh, so it lasted one year. And so it says here in Luke 1, 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village of Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. 
Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. And then here it is as it came to pass, Luke 2, verse 1. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And you remember Luke's uh, account, uh, uh, an angel appeared to to Joseph because he was going to He was going to divorce. They were betrothed. They were engaged for a year. But when she told him she was pregnant, he could not believe it. And he was going to to divorce her, as it were. And an angel appeared and said, don't be afraid to take her as your wife because she really is pregnant with God's child. Can you imagine if you were dating someone, guys, and your girlfriend said that to you? You'd think she was Looney Tunes. So an angel appeared to Mary, I mean to Joseph, said, don't be afraid. What she's telling you is absolute truth. And here it is happening. And while they were there, verse 6, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Could you imagine being a shepherd in a field and angels appearing out of nowhere in the sky? It would freak me out. Would it freak you out? And that's what happened to them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. 
Jesus' birth, even the angels appeared just to let the world know something amazing that's never happened before has just transpired. The world will never be the same. Joy has come to people who have been in darkness and light has come to them. So why is the incarnation so important to us? I like to lay this out really, really clearly because people simply don't understand why we as Christians celebrate the virgin birth. We celebrate Jesus' birth. I know he wasn't born on December 25th. I know he was probably born sometime in the, in the, uh, late, in the fall of the year, and yada, yada. I understand that. But thank God the world recognizes Jesus' birth when it does. Aren't you glad about that? So why is Jesus, why did Jesus have to come? And why is his virgin birth so important to us? Well, here's the problem. After the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, sinned, there's a big problem. A curse came upon the soil. And God had to, they, and they were, they were fallen people. And, that, uh, and when they sinned against God, they separated themselves from fellowship with God and inherited not spiritual life, but spiritual death. Adam and Eve died spiritually. That means they were separated from God, their heavenly father. There is no way that God could fellowship with them any longer. In fact, they were afraid of God after their sin. God had to find a way that he could bridge the gap created because of sin between fallen man and a holy God, unholy humans and a holy God. And there was no way that that gap could be bridged by any natural human being, every one of us. If you've got two parents and you've got a belly button, you've got problems problem with sin and that's the and that's the problems that we have no human being can save us there are lots of there are lots of religions in the world but the thing that differentiates christianity from the rest of the religions is we say that jesus christ was virgin born that is he had no earthly father what does that do for jesus it makes him a perfect human being living in a physical body. When Jesus was born, we just read it, uh, uh, by Mary, his mother, and laid in that feeding trough in a barn, Jesus was absolutely pure, absolutely holy, untainted with sin. Jesus is the first person, listen, since Adam's sin, that was born in relationship with God. He's the first human being born since Adam and Eve sinned. And that, was, and that was thousands of years prior to Jesus' birth. Jesus is the first person born over whom Satan had absolutely no authority or control. Jesus is the first human being born that was immortal. That is, he was not subject to death. The Bible says the soul that sins will die. And because Jesus was not born as a sinner, that means he's immortal. That means he would have lived through eternity in a physical body. That is a big deal. And see, because Jesus was virgin born, because he only had one earthly parent, that means Jesus could assume our sin debt as a human being. And here's what people don't realize. And you hear me say this. All along and along, I've said this quite a few times. People understand that God is love, but most people do not understand that God is holy. And heaven is a holy place. And we cannot go to heaven in our current state. God may love you, but that doesn't give you as a fallen human the right to go to heaven. And that's what most people don't know. I think the stats are 87 or 88%. 
of Americans believe that God is so good and so loving that he certainly wouldn't allow them to go to hell if they die. And my friends, nothing could be further from the truth. Just because God loves me doesn't mean that that fits me to be able to go to heaven. The problem with me is I'm unholy, I'm fallen, I'm a sinner. And nothing that defiles, the Bible says, can enter into the pristine gates of heaven. You have to be purified from sin to get there. And that's our problem. There's no way to make ourselves clean from our own sins. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness that we have done that we become right with God. But it's by what Jesus did that we can be right with God. The Bible says, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. That faith is a gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. And most people think if I can do enough good works, certainly God will allow me into heaven. It's not about works. It's not about uh, what we do. It's not, about, it's not about anything but the fact that I am a sinner. I am born in that state. The Bible reveals that all of us are born in the state called sin. Behold, I was born in iniquity. Psalm 51 says, the psalmist said, And in sin my mother conceived me, for all have sinned and fall short of the God's glorious standards. That's me, that's you, that's every human that's ever been born except for Jesus. Jesus is only pure human that has ever been born since Adam and Eve sinned. What does that mean? Well, Jesus was raised just like we were raised. You can read just, there's not very much about his childhood in the Gospels, but he was raised by his mother Mary and his, I guess it would be, you can call him what you want, stepfather Joseph. And, uh, you know, and he was raised in a carpenter's home. He learned the carpenter's trade. And at 30 years of age, Jesus was baptized by his first cousin, John the Baptist, with the Holy Spirit. And he began to preach the gospel. Up to age 30, he faced every challenge you face, every temptation to sin, every temptation to lust, to gossip, to lie, to cheat, to steal, to do everything that you've been tempted to do. And many times we fall into the trap of sin. Jesus faced every, every temptation to sin, and he didn't yield to it. The Bible says he did no sin, nor was guile ever found in his mouth. So Jesus literally lived a perfect human life because his life came from God. He was virgin born. He was not a normal, although he was a human, he wasn't a normal human. He was deity in humanity. How many understand what I'm saying? Because of that, Jesus, Jesus had authority over the devil. He had authority over all of the, uh, all of the laws that govern the universe. He, he calmed the storm. He walked on water. He raised the dead. Why? Why? He had authority. And Satan had no jurisdiction over him. When Jesus died, the Bible says, he who knew no sin was made to become our sin. Why is that important? I can't pay for my sin. I can't pay for your sin. I can't pay for my own sin. I'm a sinner. The only way that I pay for my sin is to go to hell. And that's a holding place like a county jail. And then everybody that goes to hell, they have a trial. There's an eternal trial. And they stand before God. It's called the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. And all of the dead, the Bible says, stand before God. And it says the books are open. And another book is open, which is called the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the things written in the books. 
according to their works. You see, most people think they can be good enough to go to heaven. And because they think that, God says, I'll be fair. We'll have a trial. We'll see if your works stack up to what God demands for you you to be able to go to heaven. So any person that dies without Jesus, they will one day stand before that great white throne. And God will say to them, okay, what do you have to say for yourself? And, And then the person may say, well, don't you have a book? He says, yes, we do. Would you please read from the book? We would be more than glad to, angel, read this person's life story. And then the person has the, has, the, has the prideful idea that all of their good works will, will vouch for them. And God will say, you're a mighty fine person. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You can go to heaven. But instead, because no human work can make you right with God, you can't be good enough. You can't give enough money away. You can't be kind enough. God looks at every person that leaves this life without Jesus Christ. And he has to say, even though he loves them, depart from me, me, you who do evil, into the lake of fire. And that is the eternal end of those who die without Jesus Christ. Why is the virgin birth important? Because Jesus became our sin. The Bible says, him who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. That we might be made right with God through Christ. When Jesus Christ died at 33 and a half years of age, he didn't die for himself. He died for you. And he died for me. He became every foul word that I've ever spoken. He became every foul thought that I have allowed a momentary lodging in my mind. Jesus became every wrong thing that I know that I have done. The Bible says to him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Jesus became, my friend, your sin. Are you ashamed of your sin? You should be. Or do you feel guilty because of sin? Without Jesus, it's, it's a gift of God to feel guilt because of sin. The good news, the gospel is good news. The good news is Jesus was made to be our sin. That little baby born in a major, without an earthly father, only an earthly mother, guarantees that if you believe in him, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, believes what? That he was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfectly sinless life, that he faced every temptation that you and I face and faced it without doing wrong. And then he was made to be our sin. And, and then if you believe that he died, and when he died, he didn't immediately go to heaven. He went to the place that you should go. He went to hell for you. He paid the debt for your sin. Think about how you've lived your life. Think about the wrong things you've done. Those things, if you meet Jesus, Jesus was judged for your wrong. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Three days later when God was satisfied that our sin debt was paid, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came on upon Jesus' spirit in hell and Jesus was raised from the dead. That, he, that is, he got into his lifeless body that Mary gave him. It became a flesh and bone body. It became a pure body. It became an incorruptible body. And the Bible says Jesus now is seated at the right hand of the Father and ever lives to make intercession for us. Is that good news? 
See, that's the gospel story. That's the good news of the virgin birth. Without the virgin birth, you and I cannot be saved. And, with not, and, and without belief in that, you can never go to heaven. And the Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. With the heart, you believe unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. You can't go to heaven if you're a young person just because your mom and daddy take you to church. There's a lot of kids. Listen, there's a lot of kids. You have to have your own experience with God. You've got to come to terms with your own self. And here's a challenge today. A lot of children are raised in church. They hear the Bible stories in church so frequently that they think they believe them, but it's only a mental ascent. And then when they get out on their own in life and in the world to go to college and have a job, and then are confronted with the challenges of culture that don't believe in the virgin birth, that don't believe in the Word of God being God's inspired Word, when they don't believe that the Bible has anything to do and say they fall away from God, perhaps they never knew. But my friend, I ask you today, I know I'm talking to, a, and I'm preaching to the choir maybe, but I want to ask you, are you really saved? Here's the challenge. If you're really saved from sin, then you have repented Repentance means I don't want to ever do what I did before. I, if I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, I don't want to sleep with her anymore or my boyfriend. Or if I've been a homosexual or a lesbian, I'm willing to forsake all of those desires even though the culture says that's cool. When you repent, you say, I'm a man, but I feel like a woman. You put those feelings down. And you choose not to be a transgender person. If you've been a thief and you lie, and you have a business and you lie, and you take advantage of other people because you can make a buck, you stop lying and you stop cheating. If you cheat on your taxes, you stop it. And you're an honest person. You pay your dues. You do what's right. If you've been known as a gossip, you stop gossiping. You live right. You want to be right. As a believer, it doesn't mean that you don't ever sin because you will miss the mark and your flesh will rise up. But when you know Jesus as Lord and his life is ebbing away on the inside of you, it keeps you clean. And when you repent, that repentance floods your life with God's mercy and God's grace and God's forgiveness and an ability to move away from the old life. And my friends, we haven't been taught that in America in recent years. And here we are. We've sown to the wind. And here we are, right on the verge of 2021. We're about to reap the whirlwind. In the light of that, here's Jesus looking at us, saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. What are you going to do with me? I trust you've made Jesus Lord. I hope you're watching. If you're watching online, are you really saved? Or did, or did you make Jesus Lord and, and set him on the shelf like other cultures do with the rest of your idols, with your, with your drunkenness and with your immorality and with your lying and with your cheating? Jesus wants to be the only person in your life and he wants you to throw the other idols away. Let's pray, Lord, thank you for the virgin birth Lord, it's an honor to preach your word. It's an honor to know you. 
let us never take for granted that our sins are forgiven and our sins are cleansed. And I pray as sincerely as I know how to pray. If there's any person watching this online, either today or some point in the future, or there's any person in this room, they say they're saved, but that salvation hasn't changed life. I pray that you'd bring conviction of sin. Help them to know there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. Help them to know that there is a virgin-born person called Jesus the Christ who became our sin. And when we repent and choose to walk away from our old life, he comes in and he restores and he renews.